I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. If you lived in Kansas City for any period of time, you probably know beer is a pretty important part of our culture here in KC. Well, there was one brewery that was ahead of the curve, but ultimately didn't make it. Find out why the Imperial Brewery didn't make it in KC as Diane Houston and I take a look at this former icon of KC. Well, I know I've seen it a thousand times and I always look to my left when I'm headed towards downtown and I see the Imperial Brewery. I'm like, man, I wish that was still in existence. I wish we still had that brewery, but it's not anymore. It's just a a vacant building. And so I think we look at that building, Diane, and go, yeah, it's important because it's old, but why else is that brewery, that Imperial Brewery important? I almost want to say Brewery Imperial because that's the name of a micro brew or small brewery yeah. town. Is like, I Not very far from there. Yeah, Brewery right. Imperial, but why, why is this building so important to Kansas City? Well, it is, you know, doing research on it and stuff like that. You know, people alerted to, you know, people always kind of keep me up to date on what's going on and and, you know, it's been in the news a little bit lately, kind of on the, on the DL, because I don't pe- think people want, they don't want uh, Diane Houston getting involved. But um, Imperial Brewery is important because it's the only pre-prohibition brewery standing in Kansas City, barely standing, but standing. So, you know, we have done a good job taking the wrecking ball to some of the other buildings that existed. Like, you know, we've talked about um, kind of down in Electric Park and what Rieger, you know, has done. That, that building is the bottling plant from the old Heim uh, brewing facility in the East mm-hmm. Bottoms. That brewery itself is gone though, right? So again, the only pre-prohibition brewery standing in Kansas City is standing right there at 2825 Southwest Boulevard by the railroad tracks, um, been vacant for since the 80s. And it's important to Kansas City's history. It's even on the National Register. Well, if it's on the National Register, then obviously it's something that should be kind of kept in place. But as you know, in the next year or so, Kansas City is about ready to take a major turn towards being on the international stage. And I don't use that term lightly. We will be on the international stage with the NFL draft coming here next year, the new airport terminal opening, international flights most likely being added. Then, of course, we've got the World Cup coming here to Kansas City. And between now and the time, really, with the draft being step one, but then the World Cup after that, I feel like it's going to be like Operation Clean Up Kansas City and yeah. get rid of anything that may stand out that doesn't look like it's in good shape and this brewery happens to be on top of it. So what do we need to do to say, all right, let's hold on a second here. Let's mm-hmm. not show anybody this building because really nobody's <laughs> going to be coming from that side of town anyway. How do Don't we go down I-35. You got to get to the Liberty Memorial and that's pretty yeah. much it, right? How do we make sure that that building does remain standing and, and maybe turn it into something that we could use today? 
Well, it's going to take somebody, and I don't think it's impossible because of the fact that these things are happening in Kansas City. Maybe it takes an out-of-town investor, which goes along with the history of this building in the first place. Maybe it takes somebody, it's going to take somebody with imagination and innovation that sees it and says, Kansas City can't keep losing. We can't just be a skyline full of new, right? Because part of, it's our history, right? Like we have to integrate things in and and it's in an odd location. It doesn't have a road that leads up to it. So um, that's a problem. That was one of the things I did talk to uh, city councilman Eric Bunch that's in his, his area, the fourth district. It's like, come on, man. Like you gotta, you know, advocate for this building because there is a lot of money coming into Kansas city with people trying to, you know, re-envision some things and maybe that's what it needs because it's going to take somebody who says we have to do something with this or we want to do something with this we're not going to just knock it down and you know put up some ugly apartment lofts complexes overlooking i-35 right yeah right right that's you don't want we that yeah no. we, have, we have enough of that i we think we have so much of that now and I mean, you know office buildings you know they, the talk was back in the early aughts maybe going with some office buildings or whatever in there but i don't even know if that's a possibility now who's going back to the office i i don't know that well, that would be a logical fit either i know and if you drive around kansas city i'm like what is going up i was just driving down like Knoll uh the other day and i'm like what is all this construction it's like they're building more office space. <laughs> Why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like nobody's working. Like, and again, lofts are kind of trendy. And I know originally, so the guy who owns the, you know, the building itself, um, they had envisioned, they bought it with purpose. And I, and I want to say that because I think it's easy for us to just start, you know, popping blame and, and saying you didn't do anything. They did have some vision. Um, when it was purchased uh, a while ago, and I think it was purchased in 2004 or something like that, you know, Dean Realty bought it. And um, Lester Dean had the vision that he wanted to create something cool with this building. And that's why he, you know, it doesn't, it's not free to go through the process of putting something on the national register. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to hire experts and and do a lot of research and such like that. So they did all that with the intention and put it on the national register with the intention of like, I, I think it was going to be kind of a mixed space, um, maybe some shops and things and restaurants on the lower part. And then like, of course, lofts on the top part. Um, and, and something like that could still be, you know, it still could be the case. I'd like to see maybe something like a place where all of Kansas City's breweries, like they like that's all they're served maybe on the main level or something like that and integrate in like a made in KC store, make it something that, you know, draws people to it. Cause you know, you go to a bar and yeah, you can get a Bud Light. Right. Uh Um, And yeah, you can go down the street and get a Boulevard, but which, you know, you could argue isn't in town anymore, but whatever Um, we there, it doesn't have to be made into a brewery again. You know, I mean, we're a saturated market. You could sell only Kansas City, you know, uh, local uh, spirits too. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of things that could be done. Um, And in that history of the building, you know, is is pretty incredible because we Kansas City's got a fun history. But of course, unfortunately for us, Bob, it's linked to St. Louis. But you know, it is what it is. That's kind of how it works around here. Well, and, and that and that's kind of where it starts with, with the yeah. beer. I mean, they saw what was going on in Milwaukee. They saw what was going yeah. on in St. Louis. Well, the next logical step is, well, we continue westward and open it up here in Kansas City. And it went from, a, I thought, I guess, a pretty promising brewery when it first got started to basically broke in three years. Like, are, are we still like back in that time, still looking to St. Louis and going, oh, that's good enough or Milwaukee. Yeah, that's good enough. We don't even want to really try to step out on our own. Like, what the heck happened in three years time? 
Well, I know. And that's Kansas City didn't have a lot of breweries when it first, you know, was around. But, in, you know, you cannot talk Kansas City history of breweries without mentioning Muehlbach. That's mm-hmm. the one that everybody thinks of first. Um, that was founded in 1868. There was an earlier one, um, the Comp Brewery. I love it. He started making soda <laughs> and it was like, this isn't profitable. <laughs> like, and so then they had J.D. Eiler and that was 1888 at 20th in Washington. And, and Eiler, and this, this is linked in a little bit with the further history of that building of Imperial, is that Eiler started also brewing what was called Rochester Brewing. So you kind of had these breweries, plus you had Heim that came in and bought out Comp in 1884. So Heim was originally in East St. Louis, Illinois. So Kansas City's history, you know, is linked to St. Louis. And we have to talk about the thirsty suds of the lager beer that became popular. And it was launched in St. Louis, you know, um, in the 1850s. Um, You know, it was it was launched and really the history of breweries in general all started kind of with Adam Lemp. And he launches the lager beer in the 1800s. His son, William, takes over and he starts actually adding in like fancy technology, like pasteurization. God, can you imagine before that? Bottling process um, was updated, artificial refrigeration. So all of those things started in St. Louis and that beer, and of course then spread to Milwaukee specifically, but that lager beer, the lightest beer you can drink, you know, it's not offensive became the drink and it's cheap, mm-hmm. right? And it's cheap to make. And so that became the, the beer of the, of the United States very quickly. And so Kansas City jumped on board with all of these. And they're mostly, you know, German immigrants that all started, you know, like, hey, I know how to make it. You know, we made it in our backyard, you know? So they all start doing this. And there's a guy in St. Louis that named George and I, the last name, we're going to call him George. Just call him George, yes. It's horrible, right? So he's born in Massachusetts in 1871, moves with his family in 1870s to St. Louis, and his dad's like a really wealthy engraver. So he's like not even, all of his family ends up like taking over the family business, and they're all like loaded. So after his dad died, I think he inherited a bunch of money. So what he does in 1899, he's like looking for a place. He had worked, I think, for Anheuser-Busch. He was looking for a place to launch a brewery that would support it. Kansas City could with the population, and it wasn't oversaturated like St. Louis was at the time. And so he's like getting investors together. He even takes $25,000 of his own money. That's a lot of money back in 1899. And he's looking for the perfect location. He finds one on Southwest Boulevard, which kind of makes sense, you know, mm-hmm. um, on Southwest Boulevard with Turkey Creek running through it. He's like, hey, water access. Also, the railroad ran right by there. Hey, easy access to get it to other places. So that's the, the location. They bought four acres there. He hires his uh, vice president, who also was, you know, had a uh, was from St. Louis and had a background in 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 beer, if you will, Alex Stoger, and they end up building Imperial Brewery. What w- the building itself was designed by a guy named Ludwig Breitag. Okay, um, and if you heard of Unruh Furniture, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it. They're in like an old church, and um, this architect also designed the church. If you cut, if you look at it, you go, okay, I can kind of see that, you know. Um, so anyway, they, they hire an architect and they're going to be building the most state-of-the-art brewery in Kansas City. And obvi- in the location, you got to imagine I-35 is not there. Right. But Southwest Boulevard was a highway, if you will, at that time period. So location, location, location. And so they throw this thing up in a couple years and $150,000 minimum is what this thing costs. 
one of the most important things that they added was a two-story mule barn. It still stands. It, you know, it's kind of to the side of the building. And of course, why did you need a mule barn? Because how are you going to distribute? You're going to distribute with, you know, mule wagons. And so they made sure that they had that. And I, I like when they first started delivering the beer, they even had like costumes that the people wore to like identify that, you know, the beers coming through town. I mean, they were pretty smart, maybe not with money, right. <laughs> but, but they were smart with, you know, trying to do this. So they actually launched a competition. They wanted a catching an appropriate name for their new lager beer. They were given a hundred bucks away and the name chosen, they wanted something purity was the Mayflower. So the Mayflower became the first beer they re released. And the second was Imperial Seal. Both were straight up water lager beer, nothing fancy. And so the beer came out May 17th, 1902 and hit Kansas City streets. Something I want to bring up, it's important to Kansas City's history with breweries, and this is actually everywhere. If you've been to Europe, you know that if you go to, like I've been to Belgium a bunch of times, you have cafes that are named after breweries. So you have like the Leffa Cafe, the Duval Cafe. And what do you do when you sit there? You drink those products. Well, that was a thing here too. So breweries would actually own the licenses to saloons all across cities. And that was because they wanted to get their products out there and they also needed people to sell it. So what they would do is they would take out leases in their names and then get a, you know, a bartender who wanted a break, you know? And so that bartender that wanted a break that would now run the saloon would pay the rents, if you will, but he was, you know, under contract to only sell Imperial products. Huh. That sounds great until people can't pay their rent, right? Right. <laughs> so, so that became an Imperial problem. <laughs> like, so uh, that's, you know, that's how they went from thriving brewery to bankrupt in three years because of that. It had nothing to do with the quality of beer or the, the fact that people didn't like the beer. It went because they had their hands in the too many pots and they started spending too much money. Well, I think that's part of it. It was that. And then also George, you know, they, they started, you know, they, they built up this whole thing and then he got involved and you know, they, what do they always say? Don't ever mix business with family and stuff like that. Yeah. And his, and he had his, his brother-in-law who was like in the insurance business living in St. Louis. And George is like, I'm going to make him be, I'm going to make him president of the brewery. And so he's like running the brewery from St. Louis. How is that ever going to work? Right. And so they fired especially out. back then where you didn't have yeah. Zoom conversations or telephones <laughs> or I mean, seriously, how could you do that back in the early 1900s? Today, I think you could probably get away with it. Oh, you could you pull don't it have today. the feel of being in the office on a daily basis and you'd have to come into town every once in a while. But back then, there's there's absolutely no way you could pull off running a brewery in Kansas City if you were living out in Independence, because that was the sticks back then. Well, exactly. And so, yeah, so in, to, to get your, your brother-in-law involved, like who knows, like Alex Stoger was doing his job. He even refused to leave. Like he wouldn't leave. Like he just kept showing up to work and he's like, we uh, fired you. And he's like, so it was like Kramer, like about? just keep showing yes, up. Kramer, yeah. Yes, exactly. So, you know, the, this, this went on for a while and they were still pretty successful. I mean, they're making 50,000 barrels of beer a year, man. I mean, that's no joke. And then they added an ice making plant because you want to keep your beer cold, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, this, they, they did, they made some uh, mistakes along the way, I'll just say. But, you know, again, the, this George, I think, knows that this is, there was a lot of flooding. There were issues caused in um, where, you know, they had to throw a bunch of beer away because it, Turkey Creek flooded. Guess why it flooded? Because they had dammed up part of it. Yeah. I mean, like, guys, you, you know, there were some mistakes. So essentially, George in 1905 is like, uh, 
think I'm going to go ahead and step down, you know? And he like steps away. And then, you know, essentially the reason he does it is he sees that the company's broke because within 10 months that they're, they're forced into bankruptcy. So they were paying and what got them forced into bankruptcy, as you were, we were talking about is that they were had like more like rent due than they were actually pulling in. Wow. Some like, because of all these saloons in Kansas city and, you know, it, it was, it was a mess. And so, you know, of course the, you have to remember the brewery's brand new. So, you know, every brewery in the Kansas city area is like, Hmm, shall we jump in here? Right. <laughs> so that's kind of what happened is that, you know, they liquidated the business and Dick's brothers brewing out of Illinois. There was a brewing company out of St. Louis looking at the building, but it came at the first time or the, the perfect time in 1905, like Ferdheim was the largest brewery in the area. They ended up consolidating a bunch of breweries, including J.D. Eiler. And remember, J.D. Eiler also operated a, a side brand called Rochester Brewing. And so they formed a corporation called KCB Co. So Kansas City Breweries Company. And they now were under the one umbrella. So Kansas City became like, you know, kind of what Anheuser-Busch has done, right? Like kind yeah. of expanded brands. Um, so they took on all these mortgages for a total of $424,000. I mean, just over that. So that plant became known as Rochester Brewery B because they were brewing, you know, they had Rochester Brewery A, obviously. Um, and they were still brewing like even though they had the imperial name, they were brewing Heim special beer out of there, Rochester Bohemian beer and old fashioned lager. So those were the beers that all old fashioned lager was the biggest beer in probably Kansas City pre-prohibition. And so essentially, you know, I, and there's some sad stories along the way, you know, it's like, you know, suicides and everything else, but, but, uh, you know, of course, then what happens? What happens, of course, as we know, is that somebody got the brilliant idea to not let beer slash spirits be legal in the United States. What a joke that must have been. Well, and, and that's really where you look at everything that has gone on, you know, for, uh, from that day that you speak of the uh, the prohibition times to where yeah. we are now. And, and I know there's no way for you to answer this question, but I would love for you to be able to, or anybody to be able to answer this question. What would America be like today if we never had prohibition? How different would America be? What brands would be around? I mean, I know it was a very short window of time, what not even a decade, well, right? That it was right. I mean, so, it's a decade. A decade over, a decade. over yeah. a decade, was it? Okay. So, but if we never had that prohibition, what would this country be like today? Would it be better than it is? Would there be any kind of difference in this country today? Would it be worse off? I mean, where would we be right now if we never had that kind of bleak period in our time? We are talking about 13 years, right? Prohibitions, basically 1919 to 1933-ish. Okay. Like, and, and they had to get through the depression without alcohol. Yeah. Like, right. Could you imagine going through COVID without booze? Oh my God. Well, I'd be thinner. But yeah, I mean, it's... I, it's a good question. I, I feel like I, you know, I Thank feel you. like <laughs> you always have all the, the good questions, Bob. Um, I think that uh, we would, um, it would look different, but I don't think we'd have the nostalgia we have now. So what I mean by that is think about Kansas City's roaring decades the teens and the 20s early 20s that's when you got the you know the pendergast era corruption galore the mafia we have all of these amazing things that were run on 
booze. And prohibition is what made the rise in the mafia. So it's not just a question of whether would, would Kansas City or would the, would the United States be different if prohibition never happened? I just want to know, I, like, think about how different it would have been for mob, the mafia. What would they have been panhandling, mm-hmm. right? I mean, probably just drugs, but cocaine. Um, but I, it would look a lot different, but I don't think we'd have the nostalgia we have today, which Kansas City kind of has that nostalgia of the 20s. You know, think of Tomstown, right? Yeah, right. Um, the brewery and some of the older buildings, that's where it kind of pisses me off, I'm not going to lie. Some of those older buildings in downtown that aren't even that old, I'm talking like teens, 20s, right? They kind of have that retro 20s feel to them mm-hmm. with the, the marquees and things like that. Kansas City loves that stuff, but they kind of forget about everything else. like like imperials built it's a it's a red brick building right it has cool details arches and and things like that but it it, is it not savable because of where it's located is it not savable because nobody wants to invest i don't know so that's a it's a good question because i it would look very different but i don't know if we would be any better off you know I, Mm -hmm. i think that uh you know you never know how good you have it until you don't right absolutely so I think that, um, you know, that there was, you know, there was always a push for, you know, making alcohol illegal for many years. Look at Kansas, mm-hmm. you know, they still have the dumbest. Well, does Kansas better. have legal alcohol yet? I don't even know. <laughs> I know it's like, wow, we can finally buy like full strength beer at Costco. Right. In Kansas. And it's like a celebration. Like, how is that even a thing? You know, why can't I buy vodka at Costco in Kansas? (laughs) Like, you know, anyway, I mean, I think that it's a good question uh, that I I think that we, I'm glad it happens because I, I, oh God, I'm going to mince my words and I'm going to regret I said this because I think because it happened, it won't happen again. Well, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right about that. Something we won't have to worry about. In we our don't generation. have to worry about I, it. Yes, you know? whatever comes after us, maybe, but not right now. So, so moving forward now. So, what's next for the Imperial Brewery? I mean, wh- where do you see this thing going? Well, Dean Realty still owns it, but they merged with a different com- like a bigger company, um, and so that whole saving the building kind of went to the wayside. And there was a fire that did some damage. There's some really cool pictures online if you look um, of the interior. Um, you know, I talked to Eric Bunch, like I said before about that, what is the future? Because what I was hearing, you know, and there's always two sides to a story and the Dean Realty did not respond for comments. They did not give me a comment on this. Mm -hmm. So that makes me suspicious, but, um, their story is we want to save it. We need somebody to help invest in it. And the city wants, but the city wants us to tear it down. That's their story. The city's story is, well, we want to see something happen with the building and we want to see preservation happen, but, you know, and, and, and I'll say it, he almost said it's kind of, is it too late? Is it too late? So I think when I hear wrecking ball and I, and it's one of these things, it, it, there's not like you get a, an advanced warning. It just like happens. And then it's just not there anymore. Um, I don't know if we'll get any advanced warning on this one. I think that what we need is someone with some, like I said before, Kansas City is going to be a lot in the in the world on the world stage. We need somebody with innovation. I, we need out of town money to come in. I think um, because I I believe and I think you can agree with me on this is that Kansas City is not as creative as some other towns, especially older towns with history. Mm-hmm. We need to pull somebody who knows what it's like 
to not just level up, you know, a neighborhood and throw up high rises that actually repurposes that. Imagine what Boston would look like if they did that, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine what New York City, and even in New York is probably not great. They didn't do the best job, but but there's a lot know, of leveling of buildings and new buildings going up by the day. And that's New why York, I'm like, right? never mind. I, I take that back. Boston's a good example. Yeah. Because you they have the history. And and by the way, what are they surviving on? Tourism. Yeah, history. Tourism. Yeah. I mean, the, the tour, the, and we're talking about tourism. That's what's going to bring people to Kansas City is sports, right? Yeah. And it's not like they're going to go just to you know, uh, yeah, go to Union Station and do this. And we're worried about transportation, which we've always been worried about in Kansas City. But they were, we need to give them something to see. What if they would have leveled Union Station and told us before that reno that it, was, it, it wasn't worth saving? Because it, people said it wasn't worth saving. And now look at it. Why can't the same thing be true for Imperial? Beginning in April, Kansas City is going to be on the world stage for many years to come. Hopefully by the time the world starts to see Kansas City, a lot of these buildings that we've looked at before and wondered what they were all about are all remodeled, taken care of, or better yet, put to good use. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey. 